Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Welcome to another episode of the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I'm Howard Tierski, and today I want to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Now, you might be wondering, why would I want to talk about Martin Luther King Jr.? on a podcast about digital transformation. After all, there wasn't a lot of digital transformation going on during MLK's lifetime. Probably the closest thing you had to digital transformation back then were maybe banks that were installing gigantic computers that filled multiple rooms to run their banks. But other than that, there wasn't too much digital stuff going on. But even though there wasn't digital transformation, there's no question that Martin Luther King Jr was a major force for transformation. And there is much to be learned from his talent, his skill, and the, I'll call it craftsmanship, behind the way that he successfully influenced people to transform. And I think that as leaders of business transformation and digital transformation today, there's a tremendous amount that we can learn by looking at what it was that Martin Luther King Jr. did. And in particular, what I wanna do today is I wanna take a look at his iconic, I have a dream speech. Because I wanna suggest to you, and I hope you'll agree with me by the time I finish going through some of my remarks here, that this is an amazing template to look to for learning anytime you need to speak about change and transformation. He was speaking to an audience, and not, of course, just to the audience of people that was listening to him in the uh, National Mall when he actually spoke, but he was speaking to a much larger audience of people who may not have all been on his side, right? He was making a case for the kind of transformation that he wanted to see in the world. And of course, there was resistance to the type of change that he was proposing. And by the way, I want to be a little bit careful here. This is a tremendously gifted person whose work I want to dissect for the purposes of understanding it better together because we have so much to learn. I don't mean to suggest in any way that the kind of digital transformations or other business transformations that you may be undertaking are at the same scale or the same level of moral imperative or anything like that to what it was that MLK was striving for in terms of equal rights and social justice, there's absolutely no comparison. And I'm not trying to suggest that there is, only to suggest that this is a person of tremendous a skill whose craft we can study and apply for more ordinary business purposes. Of course, I don't probably need to tell you too much about Martin Luther King Jr. You probably are pretty well-versed, great civil rights leader, an orator, a pastor, and I have no doubt that his training and his experience as a religious leader was one of the things that was foundational to his skills at speaking and persuading people to act. Clearly, anyone who is in that space, anyone who is a religious leader in any religion, very often has to get up and speak and persuade people to act and behave in a certain way. And the impact of his I Have a Dream speech is massive. And among many other areas of impact, it probably was a major contributor. That speech was in 1963 to his winning the Nobel Peace Prize the following year in 1964, not to mention the impact that it had on the minds of both African-American Americans who were aligned with his goals, and he was laying out a blueprint 
for change, even though it may be change that some of them were concerned or fearful of whether they could actually be successful when they embarked on trying to drive that change, as well as an audience of all other Americans who he was speaking to. A couple of things I want to point out about his speech, and then I want to get into looking at the different parts of it. This iconic, you know, one of the most famous speeches uh, ever, right? You know, you have the Gettysburg Address, maybe a few others, and this has to be up there with one of the top most famous speeches of all time. This speech is 17 minutes long. If you find yourself needing to get up and speak in a business situation and talk about the importance of transformation and someone says, I can only give you 15 minutes on the schedule and you feel like 15 minutes, you know, I need a half hour or an hour to talk about this. Well, maybe you do, but MLK only needed 17 minutes to change the world. And not only was it a 17 minute speech, relatively brief, it's only 1700 words. The entire speech is 1700 words. I encourage you to listen to it and to read it. And we're going to go through some parts of it on the podcast today because there's many things in there that I want to point out to you that you can pick up on. And I'm not talking about using his words, but using his structure because the structure of this speech is true genius. But I also want to point out that it was delivered slowly because 1700 words over 17 minutes, that is not a very rapid clip. So it's not like he somehow figured out a way to cram an hour of material into 17 minutes. On the contrary, he allowed plenty of time and space as he spoke. Let's take a look at some of these 1700 words and what it was that King put together to make such an impact in so few words. And as I go through the speech, I'm going to point out kind of an outline that you might want to consider following for your own oration or other kinds of communication you have about driving transformation. By the way, I'm going to read some parts of the speech. I'm not going to read you the whole speech, but I'm going to read some snippets. And of course, I'm not going to change the historic words that King used. He talks about, for example, the Negro throughout. And of course, that's not a term I use, but I'm reading his words. So please forgive me if I'm using dated language or, and I certainly don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm just uh, reading his words and I, I wouldn't dare change them because as I said, I, I really think they're genius. So how does he begin? How does King begin the, I have a dream speech? He begins by speaking of Abraham Lincoln. He begins the speech by saying five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the emancipation proclamation. Now, of course, he's speaking in front of the Lincoln Memorial, so it makes sense to reference Lincoln, but why did he even choose to speak in front of the Lincoln Memorial? Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht YouTube to subscribe. He is starting by reminding his audience that change is possible. Sometimes people feel sort of calcified in their view of the way the world is today, the way the company is today, and it just seems like a big transformational vision is completely unrealistic. How could we ever make a change of that scale? And one of the ways to help people believe that change is possible is to remind them that it has happened in the past. This is not the first time a leader has come forth before people and said, let us make a great change. And so within your own company, you probably have examples from the past of major initiatives, major projects, things that you could reference. It may not be as grand as Abraham Lincoln, but he is beginning with this reminder to his audience that this country has transformed in the past and not just transformed, but transformed in terms of the relationship between 
minorities between black people and the rest of the country, and that more change is possible because we've seen it in the past. And he ends that initial part by saying, it came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of captivity. So again, reinforcing not only that change was undertaken, but the change was beautiful and successful. I'm sure he thought that inspires his audience to be in a mindset of the possibility of change. So once you've done that, once you've reminded people that change is not something to think is impossible, he goes on to do what I would suggest to you as a good second step, which is to paint a picture of what is unacceptable. In other words, what is the gap? Most people don't want to change unless there's a good reason. Change equates to most people with risk and pain and effort and cost. And by the way, that's not wrong. It's not wrong. Change has many downsides, but it's essential in order to make progress. And so in order to persuade people, you need to paint a picture of what's unacceptable. So let's look at how does King do that? Here's what he says later. He's already just talked about how amazing it was with Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation and the freeing of the slaves, that great, joyous daybreak to end the long night of captivity. But then he says, but 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the changes of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. So he's gone from this very inspiring vision to a rather dark story of the way things are today. The negative problem which is unacceptable and must be overcome somehow. Now, he then moves on to further underscore why this is unacceptable. When you point out a gap, what is unacceptable to you, and again, you know, your situation may not be as lofty as what King was seeking to undertake, but you can still learn from his structure. And that's what we're looking to look at here today. So, you may say, you know, our, our sales are down, our people are being laid off, our customers are going to competitors, whatever it is where you're articulating the gap that is unacceptable. What's unacceptable one, one person may not always be unacceptable to somebody else. And so the next thing you want to do is show how the gap connects to values and identity. He describes the situation of Black people in America in terms of poverty and other negative components. But he goes then on to connect it to who we are. In doing that, he's speaking not only to Black people, but to everybody. He says, when the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, Black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So he's reminding everyone that the situation is not only unacceptable to him, but is inconsistent with our values and our mission as a country. And so as you think about your company, you may be able to do something similar. This is not who we are. You know, we're a high-end brand and we are disappointing our customers, or we're a company that has historically been able to be relied on for good returns. And now here we are seeing our market share slip. So you're taking it from just a definition of something you think is a problem to something that hopefully your audience is going to say, yes, that is unacceptable because it's not consistent with our identity. Now, the next thing that King does after pointing out this terrible injustice or this whole set of injustices that are going on 
and then talks about how it's not only bad, but inconsistent with our identity. What do you think he does next? Download the first chapter of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, today. Visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to get started. He cracks a joke, and he says, instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. And he gets a laugh. If you listen to the recording or you watch the video, his audience laughs at this joke. So clearly set up as a joke. So that's kind of interesting to me. And I think it points to the value and the importance of humor. Sometimes you have to create some pain when you're trying to get people to change. You have to point out to them how bad the situation is. But then sometimes if you create too much pain for too long, people just tune out. People aren't going to listen to you. They just don't want to hear it. So you have to be willing to uh, intersperse that with something that's a little bit more enjoyable. So King takes a moment to make a little joke before moving on. It's not like a rolling on the floor laughing joke, but it's funny, particularly in contrast to the very, very dark things that he says before that. So the next thing structurally he does is he talks about why change now? Because it's one thing to say we have this problem and we need to do something about it. And people might say, well, yeah, you're right. This can't go on indefinitely. But when people resist change naturally, the first thing they want to do is avoid changing. If they just can't really succeed in convincing themselves that the change that you're proposing is completely unnecessary or there's something that they can avoid, the next thing they try to figure out is, well, can we delay it, right? It's like if I have to get my tooth filled, you know, like a cavity, it's like, oh, not this week. Let's do it. Can we do it next month? Like, you know, well, how can I push this painful thing down the road? So when you're trying to drive change, you always have this double challenge of convincing people first that change is essential, but second, that it cannot wait. King says, we have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradual. He is emphasizing the criticality of changing now. And he is trying to create some pain for those who are not in pain. In other words, he's talked about how bad it is for African-Americans, but he realizes that a lot of the people that need to sign on to this are not African-American. He needs to drive change in the whole country. So he's also trying to layer in more reasons to change and change now. He says it would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. Now, you may not, again, have as strong of a burning platform as King does here, but nevertheless, structurally, you might want to think about what can you say to say, you know, we must change now before things get worse while we have the opportunity. You know, the reason that you need to change now is going to vary based on your situation. But one reason to change now is sometimes like time is right. Like things are teed up. Let's not miss this window of opportunity. And another reason is because every day that you wait, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, the best time to act would have been two years ago, but we certainly can't wait another two years. Or there may be other reasons, but to think about that point 
of making sure that you're addressing as King does why change now. So structurally, the next thing that King does is he does what I call opening the tent and allaying concerns. He's thinking about how can I make sure that I'm not only speaking to those African-Americans who want their lives to be better, I'm conveying a message that all people can get on board. And so he has to do two things. First of all, he needs to invite them and help them see that he's not against them. This is not black versus white. He wants everyone to be a part of this. This is a transformation that's needed that's going to be good for everybody. And as part of that, he needs to allay concerns about possible negative consequences that some people in his audience, whether his physical audience or his extended broadcast audience, could result or that that might make them uncomfortable with being a part of his change, being a part of his campaign. And so he wants to make sure, in this case, that people aren't concerned that this is about calling for violence or other things that might violate their own safety or their own values. So he says, we must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to denigrate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And then he goes on to say, the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And that they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. Now, again, it may seem like this is something very specific to racial issues, but I would suggest that's not the case. When someone's trying to drive transformation at a company, there tend to be people who feel like they may be disenfranchised by that transformation. If you're trying to digitize the customer experience, it could be that the people who work in your stores or in your call centers are potentially going to feel from your message like this is something they should resist. It's digital versus non-digital. The natural tendency of the human mind to look for the us versus them, to look for the possible threat is very strong. And so when you're trying to drive change, you want to do everything you can. And again, reiterating that it's not as lofty of an issue, but the same structural issues apply. You have to ask yourself, who in my audience might respond negatively to this message, even though it seems good to me? And what do I need to say to open the tent, to allay their concerns and make them feel comfortable being a part of this mission? So the next thing King does structurally is he returns to talking about why change is a must. And you can rarely ever go too far in adding more fuel to the fire of why change is essential. He talks about we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. He talks about our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and hotels of the cities. He says the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. The Negroes are stuck in ghettos. He says our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. And he says a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. So this is just layering on more and more reasons why the current situation is unacceptable. And now after that, he goes back to calling on people's shared values, but also doing something which this speech is most famous for and which I would suggest is something you always want to look for when you're trying to, to create a movement, a transformational campaign, and that is some kind of strong call to action and a slogan. 
So this is the part in the speech where King says, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold that these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. So he is introducing this slogan, I have a dream, and he's going to repeat this slogan a number of times. Clearly, this is not just a random phrase from his speech that someone pulled out later, but it is a intentionally crafted slogan. So you might want to think about, and I've been a part of many enterprise efforts that had some sort of slogan that was meaningful to people. And I would suggest that that's a good thing to do, to encapsulate transformation with some kind of idea that people can latch onto and that you make it meaningful. So King makes his I have a dream phrase, which doesn't intuitively on its surface, if you weren't familiar with King speaking, connect to racial equality. But he says, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. He then says, I have a dream where my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And he says, I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. So he is connecting his I have a dream slogan to a series of visualizations. And this is a powerful technique. You know, it's one thing to say to people, hey, we should make this transformation because it's going to improve our share price or it's going to make increase our customer satisfaction index or it's going to make our company more successful. These things are all very abstract. You notice that King is not talking about fairness. He's not talking about equality. I mean, he may at some point in the speech use those terms, but he's not mainly speaking in these kinds of abstract ideas. He's describing scenes that you can listen to and picture as a listener of the speech and which strike an emotional chord. And so even in business, I would suggest to you that you can paint similar pictures, a picture of a customer who is delighted when they receive the product in the mail or is ecstatic at the way in which they experience your sales process. And again, I'm not saying that's equivalent. I'm just saying, let's learn from this genius structure because we can apply it in a lot of other places. And so painting these specific images, if you say to your team members, imagine when our customers are so happy with us that social media is flooded with screenshots and photos of people loving their experience in our stores, just like they do when they take pictures of themselves at an Apple store, getting their new iPhone, things like that. Those types of images can be powerful ways to move people and people internalize what this transformation could potentially mean. So we're rounding the home stretch here. He goes back to shared values and he tries to connect with as many listeners as possible. And I would encourage you to do the same thing is to think about again, how is this good for everyone in your organization or everybody who's affected by your potential transformation? King says, if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. Now, why is he talking about the snow-capped Rocky Mountains, right? What does that have to do with racial justice? Well, I think what he's doing here is he's trying to reach out to all of these different people. And notice how complimentary he is. Notice how much he conveys a love for all these different parts of the country. 
Similarly, if you're speaking to the finance team, the legal team, the people in the call center, the people who work in the stores, as you speak to a breadth of people with different identities who come from different places, with different skills, with different geographies, whatever your diversity might be in the audience you're speaking to, if you can find a way like King does here in a very compact way, very briefly, he covers a whole bunch of different states, that can be a powerful technique. He then finishes the speech by further expanding who will benefit. He wants to make sure, and again, this is so critical in transformation, that it's not just about benefiting him, the speaker, or his tribe, or his people, but that the benefits are all-encompassing. And you know, you may sometimes think that's not true of certain transformations that you undertake. You might think, well, this really only benefits one area, or really only benefits another area. And I, I can't really tell you whether you're right or wrong, but see how King takes what is a speech really about social justice for African-Americans and turns it into something that benefits everybody. He ends the speech and he says, when this happens and when we allow freedom ring and when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, we are free at last. So he ends with a message that, first of all, subtly works in the idea that elements of African-American culture re reflect a shared value with the whole country. And I think that's powerful. And you always want to be thinking again. I've talked a few times already about this idea of shared values. How do you connect what you're trying to do back to the shared values of the larger organization and of the totality of the people you're speaking to? But also, he obviously mentions a lot of other groups. He's trying to reach out again. First, he was reaching out geographically. Now he's re reaching out to different religions, to different races, and trying to point out that this mission that he wants to recruit everybody to participate in is not just good for one group of people, but good for everybody. And I really do believe that for those of you that are engaged in some kind of digital transformation, that this is a change as giant as it may be, as costly as it may be, as painful as it may be, that will benefit your entire ecosystem. Again, I can't speak to a particular situation. And of course, not all digital transformations are successful and are good. But when done well, and by the way, of course, in my book, Winning Digital Customers, I speak at length about how to go about running a successful digital transformation. But when done well, think of who benefits. You usually will be able to paint, perhaps not quite as grand as King's, because we're not talking about transforming your company is not going to have the kind of complete social impact that something like King's transformation does, of course. But, and I don't think you will win the Nobel Peace Prize, no matter how good a job you do in your PowerPoint presentation. But the still, the customer benefits. All different types of employees benefit. Your suppliers probably benefit. Your distributors, your retailers potentially benefit. Your investors benefit. I mean, if you look at your whole ecosystem, you should be able to think about how this benefits all of them. You should be able to paint a picture that this is a win-win-win all around for everybody. So in summary, with great, great respect to Martin Luther King, a amazing genius and skilled orator, I do believe that this is a speech which is not only inspiring for its role in history, not only inspiring for its message to message of social justice and, and the rights of 
not only African-Americans, but all minorities and all people. And the topic of what the speech is about, which I absolutely think is tremendous and inspiring. But if you want to look beneath it, look behind the covers and say, what is the structure of this? And how is he using, how is he intelligently sequenced a series of different types of ideas and imagery to be incredibly persuasive? I would suggest to you, you can use much of this same structure in almost any speech about driving transformation. I look forward to your comments. I hope truly deeply have not in any way troubled or offended anybody by my analogies here. Uh, I think I've, I've said it many times, so I won't say it again about what I'm meaning to imply and not meaning to imply about the relationship between this and your business issues. I always believe in looking to the very, very best points of inspiration. And well, MLK is the best. I hope this has been interesting and helpful to you. I'd be fascinated to hear your comments and thoughts about this. As always, I thank you for watching and listening, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.